And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drums? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. I'm Maggie. And this is Rebel Girls Book Club, and today we are talking about the best books that we read in 2022. Yes, indeed. That is, in fact, what we are doing. And just to clarify, these are not necessarily books that were published in 2022. These are just books that we read in 2022. So you're going to get both Harmony and I's top 10. I know. I'm really excited about it. But before we start, Maggie, even though I have not completed this book and finality... I really need you to know about it, and I need to say it in front of the people because I really want it on the next season, Rebel Girls Season 5. Yeah, the next season of Rebel Girls Book Club. It is called Gossip Girl Fanfic Novella by Charlie Mark Brettier, and it is a fanfic of Gossip Girl that deals with the trans experience. I would really like to read it with you next season. And I think that this is what the people want. And I think that we should perhaps watch all of Gossip Girl in preparation, except for the reboot, because the reboot wasn't fun in the first season. Although they have Georgina back, so maybe it's fun now. I don't know. People, message me and let me know if the reboot has gotten fun yet. This is a hard sell, but I will think about it. (laughs) Harmony first tried to show me Gossip Girl while we were on a trip together in Amsterdam and had nothing else to do. And I got halfway through the first season with her, I think. And that was fun, but then we never returned to it. So my cultural reference here is uh, lacking. This is a ploy so that you will continue to watch Gossip Girl with me because you promised and then you never delivered. And it's been years, Maggie, and we still haven't even finished season one. And I'm upset about it and I'm hurt. And now we have to watch the entirety so that we can read this lovely fan fiction about the trans experience. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I deserve that public call out. You're right. I did promise you and then I didn't I didn't live up to it. So we got to fix that. All right. That being said, Maggie, tell, tell me about your favorite books for 2022. Did you have any trouble coming up with this list? I had a hard time narrowing it down a little bit. There's one book that I'm kind of sad didn't make it to the top 10, but there was just so many good books that it got it got left off. But for the most part, I feel like for me, it was a pretty clear cut list of, okay, yeah, this was really the creme de la creme of what I read. And I think the one thing for me that I try and be sure of when I make books like this, or when I make lists like this at the end of the year is that recency bias doesn't play into it too much, because obviously the things that are freshest in your mind are going to be the things that you're most excited about. But I'm pretty happy. I have a real mix of things, some things that I read last January, and then some things that I just read. So it stretches the gambit. And I also think it feels relatively representative of what I read in terms of genre. There's nonfiction on here because I 2022 ended up unexpectedly being my nonfiction era. There's a lot of historical fiction. There's a lot of literary fiction. There's a little bit of fantasy. So yeah, that's kind of the the general gist of my list. And I will say that it is in a specific order 10 to 1. I feel pretty strongly that these are all 
they're they're all in place, you know. Wait, it is 10 to 1? You've ranked the books? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I did not do that. I just did it. I was thinking about the recency bias, and so I ended up listing it in order of how I remembered them. <laughs> so there's, there's, no, there's no hierarchy or organization, I think. But yeah, I, I really struggled with that recency bias thing too. And I actually had a very profound moment thinking about <laughs> thinking about my list and the books that I read because I'm... I was thinking, I was like, well, what what books have had the greatest impact on me? And it was really hard for me to think before September. And that is right around the time in which my life really changed a lot because I got a new job in a new place. And it was the time in which I reached the current stage that I'm in in life. And then I realized as I was thinking about my list and coming up with all these titles, I was like, oh my god, 2022 was such a long year. And not in a bad way, but... A lot happened this year. Did you have that experience? You know, I didn't. But the fact that you say that actually makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like the years where a lot happened and a lot changed always feel longest. And I think it kind of goes back to why time feels so long when you're a kid, because things that are new and new experiences are creating new pathways in your brain. So it feels like it takes longer. Whereas for me, I did switch jobs in 2022, but I made... I went from a position, one position to a very similar position, and my life was otherwise relatively low-key and relatively the same all year. So I feel like for me, the time just kind of flew by. But I mean, you graduated grad school, you went on a whole European journey this summer, you moved, you got a new job. So it makes a lot of sense to me that in a year of so much change, it feels like it's been a big year. It took a long time. It really does. And now back to my profound moment. Sorry, Maggie, I'm stealing the spotlight. As I was looking through this list and looking at the books that I read, I was like, I feel like each book marks that that time of change for me. I have a whole nonfiction section kind of all up front. And it's like, oh, these were the ideas I was grappling with the last year of grad school. And you can see by the books that I picked, I think, as my favorites this year around. They, they're important to me because they all sort of match a philosophical element that I think is important to my current growth. So I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time reflecting and tooting my own horn. I really love it when that happens, though, when it's the stuff you're reading becomes, I don't know, stuff you think about. I feel I, I feel like that's how really you know that something's made an impact on you is when you can look at your year and be like, oh, yeah, I read this then and then it continued to be a theme in my life. It was something I was grappling with and something I was thinking about. All right, let's talk about our books. You go first, because you have them ranked, and I'll just non, uh, non-hierarchically, non non-organized, just inter- intercede with whatever the book is on my list. So number 10 on my list is Mademoiselle Revolution by Zoe Sivak. And Zoe was an author I got to interview this year. But I will say that this list, had, the, the book made it onto my top 10 list before I got a chance to talk to Zoe. And then talking to Zoe really solidified it. It was just a really interesting interview. And she was a lot of fun. And we had a very pleasant time together. But the book itself is a really brilliant historical fiction novel that looks at the French Revolution from a more global scale. It brings into context Haiti and how Haiti and the slave revolutions that were happening by enslaved people kind of played into the larger French Revolution. And it really just explores a very profound and I think widely mythologized time in history 
from a much broader perspective with a biracial main character who's also queer and also explores Robespierre as a figure from, I think, a much more nuanced, if still fictional lens. And it was, for me, the perfect balance between interesting, clearly very well-researched history and a character that I really gave a shit about and really wanted to have a positive outcome for her. And it was the perfect blend between theme and enjoyment. It just really swept me away. I thought it was wonderful. I feel like once I finish reading that book, it will definitely be somewhere on my top list. But I'm not going to finish it until 2023 because the Christmas season happened and I had to embed myself with all the gay romance. It's good, though. So far, it's good. So <laughs> my my the book I've gotten written down first is Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. And I think that this is just my favorite read this year. And I think it was so beautiful. It's about, for, just to give a recap, we, we it, it's how we opened our season. But to give a recap for people, it's about a trans girl who is a violinist who runs away from home because she's in a bad situation at home. Her dad's abusive. And she ends up in all of these kind of compromising positions where she's really fighting for her safety and survival, which seems really dour and bleak, but this is a really beautiful, hopeful novel. So she meets this woman who is this famous concert violinist who then became the violinist coach and or a teacher. And she hears Katrina, our main character, the trans girl, and kind of adopts her because she has, she, she, what she does is she takes violinists and makes them protégés and makes them famous violinists. And in doing so, she sells their souls to a demon. But she <laughs> takes in Katrina because she thinks that Katrina has what it takes to be a rock star violinist. And they have this beautiful relationship that forms, even though the teacher is planning on killing Katrina by taking her soul. And there is a not-quite-side plot about aliens who own a donut shop, and the captain, the mom alien, is a lesbian, and she and the, the violinist teacher fall in love, and it's beautiful, and it all ends with hope and how and why we need art, even when everything around us feels like shit and is crumbling. So, I don't know, that was just such a beautiful way to start my September, because for me, I feel like September always feels like the actual start of a new year, because we have this massive break, or if you're working full-time, maybe it's not really a break, but summer feels like we're here, we're having fun, and then September is when... It's like, okay, let's get back to work. We got budget season coming up or whatever it is for you. So yeah, that was that was my first book. All right, Maggie, what's your next one? Gosh, Light from Uncommon Stars really was a top tier book. I'm not surprised to hear that it made your list or that it might have topped your list as your favorite read. The next book on my list is The Discord of Gods by Jen Lyons, which is the fifth book in the Chorus of Dragons series and really solidified it as being my favorite series of all time. But because it's the last book in the series, I can't tell you too much about this book specifically. And frankly, I don't really remember a ton about this setup in book one. So the core of this novel 
And the core of this series, I would really say, is that this is a series that plays with and subverts a lot of very traditional fantasy tropes. So you're going to see lots of things like the Hero's Quest. You're, you have this big world-ending event. You have these gods. You have all of these political machinations. But the story is told through a very queer, very poly lens. And also explores gender and gender roles really intensely. And so all of those character identities end up really subverting where you think the plot's going to go based on some of the overarching fantasy tropes that the story is kind of playing with in the plot. And I just loved it. Top to bottom, it was a fantastic end to the series. It was a really unexpectedly hopeful end to the series, which I really loved, especially in a series where the queerness was so embedded in it. It felt really nice to have it, didn't necessarily have a happy ending, I would say, because it is an epic fantasy, but there was a very clear message of hope at the end of it. And it was really appreciated. And I think for me, what the, the series does really well is its characters. I have never cared about a group of characters like this since I was probably a teenager and was really reading to fill a parasocial relationship in my life. And I definitely don't read for those same reasons now, but the intensity of connection I felt with these characters has been absolutely unparalleled. And I'm really sad that the series is over now, but it wrapped up in a very satisfying way. And I'm really excited to see what this author does in the future. What's the series name again? I know you've already stated it, but what is it called? The book specifically that I read was called Discord of Gods, and then the series is called A Chorus of Dragons. A Chorus of Dragons. Okay. I might check it out. I might not, though, because me and fantasy apparently don't get along, even though I love fantasy. It's just a lot of world building. So maybe. I want to love fantasy more. I just... (laughs) I just need to really be in the right mindset for paying attention. My next book is Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, which apparently Maggie does not like. They are slanderous against Wild Seed. It is the one book by Octavia Butler that uh, they're not here for, apparently. This I read while in Europe, and I think that painted my experience more. It was kind of the only book I think I read that month that I was away. And I think that it was just... It felt like coming home because I've read a Butler book, I think, almost every year that we've been doing this podcast. (laughs) And so it was like, oh, yes, back again to Octavia. And it also had a lot to do with travel, I think. And I, I guess in Europe, I was really grappling with the idea of, wow, I'm experiencing all of these wonderful things while also reckoning with colonialism. It's like, wow, the world is so much worse than I than I thought it was. But also, this is so much fun. And uh, this book ha- dealt a lot with themes like colonialism and superiority and what we're willing to accept from the people we love in our life. And so it, it was just, it was a really nice read, I think, because it was nice sci-fi and I love Butler and it had some really strong themes that resonated for me while I was traveling. So that's it. That's it. No comment. (laughs) No, I mean, it just, it's just the one Octavia E. Butler book that didn't work for me, but I can really see why other people would like it. I had a really hard time with the character dynamics between the two main characters. I found it really, really difficult to read and it was purposeful that it was really difficult to read. There was a point to all of it, but it really just didn't, work for me, which was weird because I I also read a bunch of Octavia Butler this year and loved all of it. This is just the one, the one that didn't work for me, but I'm glad to hear that it worked for you. 
The next book on my list is my first nonfiction, which is Ace by Angela Chen. And this book, I think, really pushed pushed me. It's been a really long time since I think I read something that made me feel so defensive about the way that I think and the way that I live my life, which I wasn't expecting going into it. You know, I'm a part of the queer community. I have multiple friends who are on the asexual spectrum. And we have a lot of open conversations about that experience. But Ace, I think, really just pushed me to think differently about being an allosexual person myself and also the ways in which sexuality is baked into our society. And I don't mean sexuality in terms of your sexual orientation so much as I mean an individual's relationship to sex in general, no matter what their sexual orientation is. And I've been thinking about this book so much since I read it in July or August. It's just really stuck with me. And I've done a lot of work in therapy. We spent three straight months talking about the places that I pushed up against and had to really unpack for myself that this book brought up. So yeah, it really just was a nonfiction that I was interested in reading and excited to read and then really shifted my worldview and made me think a lot differently about myself and my relationship to the world in a way that I think was really productive. And I'm also... I don't want to say proud of myself because that's too intense of a word, but I'm glad that I didn't feel the defensiveness and then just shut down there and was like, okay, I'm feeling defensive. Let's push through that initial knee-jerk reaction and actually think about why you're feeling defensive and unravel some of those threads, you know? Especially because I think that sometimes defensiveness is the most insidious when it comes up from a place that you weren't expecting it to come from. When it, when I talk about race, I think that I spend a lot of time trying to prepare myself mentally because as a white person, I know that there's aspects of white fragility that I'm always going to carry and that I need to be prepared at a moment's notice to push through. And because that this was coming from inside of a community that I belong to, even though it's a different aspect of that community, I really wasn't expecting it. And so I wasn't, I didn't have that same level of preparedness to combat that reaction and then was still able to push through. So I think to me, it felt like, okay, I feel like you probably have done some learning here that is actually happening in a productive way. Can we read this on the pod? I would love to read that book. Yeah, sure. Maybe love's a strong word though, because it sounds like, it sounds like the tower tarot card. It just shakes everything up. (laughs) Then you have to do, you're forced into a lot of learning and growing. I don't know that everybody's going to feel that way about this book, but I have been doing a lot of thinking about gender and sexuality over the past two years, especially, and how gender relates to the sexual experience in general. And I think that this book just hit me at a time where I had been doing a lot of really deep thinking about all of this and how it was playing into my life actively in general to begin with. And then felt like I had some things figured out and felt like I understood things about myself and that was pretty immediately confronted with a different perspective that really shook that all up, you know? So not to say that it won't have that effect on you, but I do think part of it was that for me, it was sort of the perfect book at the perfect time to push me as far as possible in that thinking. I love that. I love that the book, you could take the book with you and then be like, all right, we're going to unpack this in therapy. That's my dream. Oh, if we had universal health care, that also included mental health. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's the, the most fantastic. All right, my next book. What do I have next? Oh, I have The Inheritance of Orchidea Divina. Am I saying that right, though? Orchidea. You kind of need to be able to roll your R's to pronounce it, which I am not actually capable of doing. So, 
Orcadia Divina, but there should be an R role in there. And it's by Zoradia Cordova. And <laughs> let's try that again. Zoradia Cordova. <laughs> Are you making fun of my accent? No, I was laughing the first time because you missed a lot of letters, but you made it the second time. <laughs> you, you, you got them all in there. We, we got it. We're okay. <sighs> okay. This book was beautiful. It's like Practical Magic if Practical Magic, the movie, were way more trippy and magical and magical realism. And it's all about familial trauma and unpacking that and digging into your lineage and making something with that and going your own way. And it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful experience. And I needed to add a witch book. Actually, I have two witch books on here. But, oh, you know what? Oh, I'm going to do 11. I'm going to do 11 books now, actually, because I just thought of something else that should go on. But yeah, that 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 is why I liked that book. It was witchy. It was like practical magic. If practical magic were way more trippy and magical realism. So it was just better. It was just better all around. Very nice. Very nice. I'm not surprised to hear that that book really worked for you. I read that book and I was like, Harmony's going to love this. The next book on my list is actually kind of cheating because it is a series, but I read the I read every single book that Olivia Dade has ever published this year. I got introduced to her at the very beginning of the year, absolutely became obsessed, completely fell in love. And it took me a while to decide between Teach Me and the Spoiler Alert series, but in number seven spot is the Spoiler Alert series by Olivia Dade. These are romance novels that all star fat main characters and really kind of explore the ways in which that being fat, especially as a woman, changes your romantic experience in society, basically. And there's starting to be more and more romance books that I think are exploring that kind of very specific experience. Some of the books that we read earlier this year together, like the Brown Sisters trilogy, also really explored that in some ways. But the spoiler alert series just did it for me. The heroes are all fantastic. It's also a series that's entirely about fan fiction and is like a spoof of Game of Thrones, which I, like everybody else, love Game of Thrones until the end and was really embedded in fan fiction culture when I was a teenager. All of these things together just kind of really created a perfect storm of basically what was for me the most perfect romance series that I could possibly imagine. I loved it. The third book just came out. I ripped through it. It's fantastic, and I really highly recommend. Okay, so when you said Olivia Dade, she's she's not the waspish the waspish widows lady, right? Because I feel like no, I've heard I don't of her believe before. So. Okay, all right. Well, I thought I knew who she was, but now I'm excited because now I have new romance novels to experience. All right, now we're gonna go into Harmony's three nonfiction picks. I guess four. Wait, did I add braiding sweetgrass? I didn't. Oh, I did horrible at my list. (laughs) We're going to have 12 titles on here. You know what? It's okay. To speed things up, I'm going to do all my nonfiction as one. Okay, so we've got Mutual Aid, Building Solidarity During the Crisis. And then there's more to that name, but it cut off because Google only has so much. And that is by Dean Spade. Oh, During This Crisis and the Next is what it's called. Mutual Aid, Building During This Crisis and the Next. This was published in 2020, and it's kind of more of a pamphlet. It's a novel. Well, it's not a novel, but it's a novel length. It's, it's nonfiction, and it's all about the history of the mutual aid moment 
movement and then how to apply that to modern communities and what mutual aid means and what solidarity means and how to community build and how to deal with different personalities and stuff. And I am not an activist, even though all of my friends accuse me, not all of my friends, all of my non-Maggie world friends accuse me of being one (laughs) because I'm opinionated and loud and quote-unquote woke, as they like to say. Maybe I need better friends. Maybe maybe the people in my life just suck. (laughs) But This was really great for me because it showed me a little bit how to engage in community and how I could go about making the world a better place if I chose to and had the capacity and resources to, which I do not feel I currently do. And it also really helped me, I think, with work projects, like learning how to work with people and work with different personality types and put my ego aside because I've got this really big ego and that's important because it fuels me, (laughs) fuels me to do well because I'm like, yes, I am doing good. And that means that I feel good about myself. And then, you know, it's this great little feedback loop. But, you know, that can make me kind of center myself when I'm trying to do good things. So this kind of helped me put myself in check a little bit. And I'm not there completely, but now I have these tools and frameworks to think about, about how I should be and how it does work to work within community and how you can navigate different interpersonal challenges within that and work towards a common good together. The next book, sorry Maggie, I'm just going to go through all of these together, is You Are Here, A Field Guide for Navigating Polarized Speech. Wait, there's more. Conspiracy Theories and Our Polluted Media Landscape. So you are here, A Field Guide for Navigating Polarized Speech, Conspiracy Theories and Our Polluted Media Landscape by Whitney Phillips and Ryan M. Milner. So since I've entered this phase of my life, I really have not been thinking about information literacy theory nearly as much. But during the first part of 2022, during most of 2022, I was quite a lot And it did help me with my current day practice. But this book is beautiful. It's all about information as an ecosystem. And during the beginning, it roots itself in Arcata, California, which is in Humboldt County. And I lived in Arcata and grew up there. So I have to love it because it talks about Humboldt. And that makes me so happy. It's just this beautiful book about how we can fix our information ecosystem to be less about capitalizing and how we can build a collective consciousness to make things more equitable for everyone, but specifically within the realm of information. It's fantastic, and it shaped all of my early 2022 philosophizing, philosophizing, philawful. And then next up, (laughs) We've got Teaching to Transgress, which is all about critical pedagogy, and that is by Bell Hooks. And so that also kind of helped me build a little bit more towards my practice and work right now, how to build autonomy, how to keep people engaged, why learning should be a student-centered practice. And I feel like even in this late stage of 2022, I'm able to pull directly from that book and be like, oh, these people don't have a... When I'm in a situation where I'm teaching somebody how to use the checkout kiosk, I think back to Teaching to Transgress by Bell Hooks. And I'm like, all right, now you're going to do it, and I will walk you through it, and we build a little mini relationship, and it's beautiful. (laughs) 
And then lastly, of course, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Kimmerer. I started this book in 2022, early 2022, I think, and was able to use it maybe in 2021 even, actually. I was like, I started reading parts of it and was able to use it in my theories and, and thinking and able to use it to find further articles on indigenous knowledge systems throughout the year of 2022. And then as you all should know, we just finished reading it. So you can learn more about our thoughts on that book than by listening to the Braiding Sweetgrass episode. And that is it for nonfiction. Da-da-da! The nonfiction speed run of the century. Very nice. Braiding Sweetgrass is coming back, folks. So, you know, keep, keep your ears peeled. The next book on my list I actually hesitated to put on here, even though it is very much deserved at its spot. And it's because it deals with such intensive and such triggering topics that I was hesitant to recommend it widely. But I think that if you do feel like you can handle the sensitive nature of the book, it really is worth a read. And the book I'm talking about is Docile by K.M. Spara. The trigger warning here is that this entire book is about sexual slavery. I just need to put that out there. If that is not something that you feel like you can engage with safely, do not read this book. It is the central setting up plot point. It's it's what the entire book is about. But the tagline of this book is there is no consent under capitalism. And that is the most accurate tagline to any novel that I've ever read in my life. This is a sci-fi dystopian that is, like many dystopians, feels a little too close to home, where people are forced to accumulate millions and millions of dollars worth of debt in order to just live their lives. And then they pay off that debt by selling it to the 1% and basically living as human dolls for the typical time is a decade, but it depends. And the way that the world is able to rectify this is that there's a drug called docile, which basically means that people don't remember and aren't even in some ways fully sentient during this time period where they're sort of sold into sexual slavery. And then they do their years, they're taken off docile, and they're able to kind of go live their lives as they will. This book, the plot of the book obviously takes place within this world and shows the crumbling nature of why this system doesn't work when our main character refuses to take docile. And he and the person who bought off his debt and put him into indentured servitude fall in love, question mark, (laughs) many question marks, because obviously there are inherently unbalanced power dynamics there that can never actually be overcome. So it's kind of a mockery of a love story. It's kind of an exploration of what it means to be loved. It's uh, the most brutal takedown of capitalism I've ever read in my entire life. And it was just really brilliant. But I can't emphasize enough that if these topics are triggering to you, you should not read this book. I know it sounds weird to be on a top 10 list and be like, I don't recommend this book. But I do just want to be really sensitive and really careful to the fact that this book isn't going to be for everybody. It just was for me. It really worked for me. It really spoke to me. It was all about queer experience. It was it dealt with consent so intricately. And I am down for anything anti-capitalist. So that's the next book on my list. I love that. I mean, not really. It sounds really brutal and awful, but I kind of want to read that on the podcast because I feel like that might be a book I would need support reading, you know? There's a lot of 
horrible themes here. <laughs> Let's unpack them. And I, I can't afford therapy, so Maggie, I'm sorry. You all just hear my therapy on air. <laughs> my next book is The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea, because it was gorgeous, and it's been a while since I've read a paper copy that I physically could not put down. And it also felt anti-capitalist and anti-colonial, and I can recommend it to all the teens, even though it's got some content warning issues. And it was queer, and it was just everything I want in a book, you know? It talked about the power of stories and the power of love and how colonialism sucks and is exploitative to lots of people and explored privilege dynamics and survival, which I think is kind of the theme that's coming out of this season for me, is the idea of, of how do we survive amidst the collapse. Hopefully 2023 isn't like this. Hopefully in 2023 I'm like, we are not only surviving, we're thriving! <laughs> That's my goal. But I just really loved The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea and was so pleasantly surprised by it. I just thought it was going to be a really fun, fluffy novel from TikTok. And it was not only fun, but mind-boggling as well and had a surprising amount of substance. Very nice. The next book on my list is something that if you listened to earlier or last season, the end of last season, you won't be surprised to hear, which is Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. This book is one of the funniest books I've ever read in my entire life. It's also an exploration of being a trans woman in 2020, which is when the book came out. It's also an exploration of motherhood and feminism and transphobia so it deals with a lot of really heavy and really intense topics, and it deals with them with the most humor and grace and empathy of any book that I've ever read. But basically, the premise of the book is that our main character runs into her ex-girlfriend, who they broke up because her ex-girlfriend detransitioned and is going by Ames again and is living life presenting as a man. And Ames has accidentally knocked up his new girlfriend. <laughs> and that has created a lot of tension in their relationship. And our main character desperately wants to be a mother. And they end up in some interesting thruple adjacent conversations, shall we say. And I will leave it there because it, it there's not a it's a very literary fiction novel. So there isn't a ton of extra plot outside of that. But this book just really made a huge impact on me. I absolutely loved it. And I highly recommend. I would like to read that on the pod someday as well. Just so we're clear. That is another book I would like to read. Okay, where am I next? Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet. I spent a lot of time, I had a ritual throughout grad school where I would go on nature walks and feel high on life. And... <laughs> And listen to this beautiful short story compilation of Janelle Monet's, and it is all about what to do under late stage capitalism. It's about a society. It, there's the, it, it, it. All of the short stories take place in this one world where we are essentially made to work and not feel anything good, and people can't be deviant, and so all of the characters are gay in some fashion. And I, I use the word gay to mean LGBTQIA plus queer. I just like saying gay. <laughs> and so all of the characters are queer and they are a part of this deviancy. And it's about owning that and getting out of the system and realizing there's more than work. And it's just 
there's all these different authors contributing to it, but it's all beautiful and it pairs really well with the Dirty Computer Janelle Monet album. <laughs> and it was just really great to listen to. It kind of gave me, I feel like the 2020s have been really us reckoning the entire world, no matter where you are in the political spectrum. Because I interact with conservative people too, and I've noticed that they're also feeling this way. Everyone is going through this big awakening in some fashion of like, oh, our stable, our systems are unstable. And so this was a great way to be dealing with the craziness of grad school and working two jobs and, you know, also reminding myself, look, even though you live in New York City, there are birds singing in the trees and you have the opportunity to go out and get fresh air and listen to this really sexy, kind of horrific, but also kind of beautiful short story compilation <laughs> in which everyone is gay and fucking the man in some ways. And sometimes they succeed in getting out of the system and sometimes they don't. But it just made me very hopeful watching all of these characters reckon with these exaggerated but also incredibly real structures. I just read The Memory Library by Janelle Monet a couple of weeks ago, and it was really good. And I think that's what I meant. Themes. It is The Memory Library, not not Dirty Computer. Dirty Computer is the name of the album, which has yeah, a song okay. in it called The Memory Library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I second what Harmony said about the book, though. The next book on my list is You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweki Mezi, who wasn't on, I think, my list last year, but was the year before with their novel, The Death of Vivek Oji. You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty is a much different book. All of their novels are very, very different from each other. They play around a lot with genre and form and are just a very, I don't know, wide-spanning author. You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty follows a woman whose husband passed away five years ago rather suddenly and very traumatically and it took her understandably a very long time to feel ready to date again and kind of restart her life after that very tragic incident. So this is kind of a romance novel kind of not I would say it's more of a literary fiction that focuses on love and romantic relationships just because it really doesn't follow any of the things that you would expect from a romance novel. But she's kind of trying to figure out who she is again in this new context. She's also an artist, and a lot of her work has, has morphed to kind of be based around her trying to deal with this tragedy. And so she starts sort of serial dating a little bit, very openly with people letting them know, you know, I'm, I'm really not looking for anything serious. And then she meets a man who she likes enough to go back to his hometown, which is in the Caribbean. And when she gets there, she falls in love with somebody else. And I'm not going to tell you who because it's a forbidden romance. And it was one of the biggest plot twists I've ever read. But it was just a book that I think really explored in some ways the idea that not all is fair in love and war, but also really empathetically. And I think really just dives into the nitty gritty of the human heart and love and empathy. And also the fucked up ways in which getting to your happy ending can take shall we say you know not shying away from the fact that love isn't always straightforward and easy and sometimes it's really messy and sometimes you hurt people on the way to that journey and you have to learn to live with that and deal with it i love this book i love this book so fucking much wow i don't know how i would feel about that i don't believe you have to hurt people i'm anti-hurting people in love 
It's not saying that you have to hurt people. It's more just a book that explores the fact that life isn't always easy and straightforward. And sometimes love is really inconvenient. And can you live with that? Will you do what it takes to make yourself be happy? Especially in the context of being, after being so unhappy for so long, you know? That makes sense. Okay, my next book. (laughs) I don't know how to transition from that one. My next book is House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. And I don't know if y'all can tell, but I feel like, as as we've talked about, I feel like the theme of this, this season is survival. But for me, this feels like a weird disconnect, right? Because... Personally, I feel like I'm thriving and living my best life or, or getting to the place where I can live my best life, but I'm going to be depressing again. As I've said before, we're in the 2020s where we've all kind of realized, oh wait, these systems are unstable. And so even though I'm so happy and I feel like I'm doing really good in life, there's always this incredible unease of what are we going to do when the next big thing comes? And so... For me, that's part of why this idea of survival is so prevalent, right? Me trying to thrive is my way of surviving right now, surviving through late-stage capitalism. And that idea really, I think, became more concrete when I read House of Hunger and read all of these. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fun book, kind of. And it's, not a, it's not an easy book, but it is fun because it's a horror book. And it's got sexy elements, and it's ridiculous in some ways, but it's still a really chilling book as well. And so I think reading this and and thinking about that idea of survival in this kind of entertaining way, even though I'm not going to go around killing people in order to survive, hopefully, (laughs) probably not, at least for a couple of decades, it, it made me, it made me imagine what it is I need to do and what things I can live with in terms of how my how my actions affect the rest of the world and how my actions contribute to harm of people because we live in a system right now where it's kind of impossible to exist without harming somebody right all of our technology is is made by child labor or something so I don't know it was just an important theme for me you are being exploited other people are being exploited worse Here's how we make it through, and here's how we can try and do the right thing. You know, that's kind of, it's interesting that you bring that up, because my next book is also largely about exploitation and colonialism, which are two big themes that House of Hunger explores. My next book is Babel by R.F. Kuang. Miss Rebecca makes the list two years in a row. You go, Miss Rebecca. Babel is a fantasy novel that is about, where the magic is all about translation, and how the power of words mixed with the power of silver can change reality. But really what the novel is about is colonialism in the 19th century, specifically between Britain and China. It's about translation as an act of violence. It's about academia, especially in the 19th century, but with very strong and very potent ties to the 21st century being a racist imperialist institution. The whole novel takes place at Oxford in 1832 to give you a sense of time and place. And the novel's about revolution. It's one of the best things I've ever read in my entire life. 
I think especially as somebody who's been steeped in academia for a really long time, I'm not an academic myself, but the fields that I work in abuts against academia still regularly. And it just gave me so much to think about in terms of colonialism on a macro scale. And I think especially gives gave context to me as a white American reader, I feel often very focused on the impacts of the U.S.'s colonialism around the world, because that's the system that I, you know, actively live in and participate under by the fact, by nature of the fact that I live here. But because this was about Britain and China specifically, it also just gave me a new global context for some of the same problems and different ways to think about it. It was really sad. It was really engaging. And it's just one of the smartest books I think I've ever read. I think I would like to read that book. Okay, I'm going to do my next two together because they're kind of, I picked them for similar reasons. So I picked The Holiday Trap by Roan Parrish and Kiss Her Once for Me by Alison Cochran. So this is exciting to me because we're, we're, we're getting out of the holidays. We're still in the holidays, technically. So I, I binge read a bunch of gay holiday fiction, as I do. And I had so many great experiences doing that. And these were my two favorite from this round of binge reading, binge reading gay holiday fiction. And they were both, they both resonated with me because they both directly acknowledged capitalism as a reason why we search for this sort of Hallmark-esque holiday romance escapism and kind of gave a really sunny, cheery path forward from that because both of these, even though these aren't even though these aren't super rough books, even though they do kind of deal with neglect and motherhood abuse, actually, both of them, now that I'm thinking about it. So even though, even though these are books that deal with some mild parental abuse, these aren't really, these aren't books that are, that are going through something big and traumatic, right? But these are just, these are just regular new adult characters that I could personally really resonate with because they're feeling like, a lot of young adults do at some point in their life where they can't they're they're not making their dreams they're they're dis they they don't know how to make their dream lives work in this current world given the circumstances and then they find small town communities in some fashion or way and fall in love and also have the ability to explore their passions and make money from it and for me, it's like, this is the fantasy, but I love that the fantasy acknowledges still, even if very lightly, but these are the systemic ways and, and reasons why we're searching for this fantasy in the first place. And they were both very gay, which made me so happy. It's just, it's, there's just something that hits so nicely about reading gay holiday fiction. It really is a craving now. Okay, that's it for me. I'm making Maggie read gay holiday fiction with me next year, by the way. We're putting it on air, so now they can't back out. It's happening. It, this will not be like Gossip Girl. This is happening. It's asserted. It is written in stone now. 2023 is the year that I keep promises to Harmony about what media I'm going to consume, apparently. <laughs> uh, although I am reading Kiss Her Once for Me for a book club next month, and I'm really excited about it. Because it's been on my radar. You are in for such a treat. I am so excited for you. Please let me know all of your thoughts and feelings. 
I will. I will. I'm really excited. I feel like everybody's loved it. I feel like it came out at the end of this year and I didn't see a ton of hype for it beforehand, but then suddenly everybody was reading it and everybody was, this is just straight up one of the best romances I've ever read. So I'm pretty fucking pumped. Number two on my list is Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson, which is the shortest book by far on this list. It's just, it's 150 pages. So I I have to keep my synopsis kind of brief because there's not a lot of, not a lot of a spoiler room, but this story is about two artists, two black artists in London who meet through mutual friends and fall in love. And it's also a book that is entirely about race and masculinity and toxic masculinity and how systems of oppression can strip you down and dehumanize you even when you yourself as an individual are a fully formed human to the place where you have to just kind of rebuild, rebuild yourself back up. It's also, I think, probably the most beautifully written book I've ever read in my entire life. Every sentence reads like poetry. And sometimes books that are written like that actually kind of grate on me because it's like, I don't, you don't always want the same thing from a poetry collection that you do from a novel, right? But this book really just hits that writing in that perfect space of I understand exactly what's happening, but the sentiment is being relayed to me in the single most beautiful way physically possible. I read this on the plane to see a mutual friend of ours a couple of weeks ago, and my jaw was just absolutely on the floor the entire time. And this was actually a book I really had to think about because I read it so recently. I was like, is this just recency bias? And I was like, no, this is just straight up one of the most beautiful books in the world. And I think it's also a real masterclass into how to write a really beautiful and very genuine love story that kind of like Harmony was saying, also deals so much with the world and systemic power and how that systemic power influences your personal life. This book, I think, is much more centered on those. I would call this more of a literary fiction book than a romance, but very similar, I think, in that sense. Yeah, it's not at all centered in this one. It's just nice to hear the acknowledgement. (laughs) Oh yeah, capitalism sucks and is the reason we're feeling this way. And then it does very lightly deal with some systemic issues. Both books, I think. My next book, or series of books, this is my last one, is the Witchy Way series by Angela M. Sanders. And this is basically just harmony porn. It's... (laughs) It's not at all sexual, but it is a cozy mystery series starring a witch librarian who lives in Oregon or moves to Oregon and then solves murder mysteries. And if only she were at least by, maybe maybe Angela M. Sanders will make it happen. But Angela M. Sanders apparently is not a librarian, and this is part of why you all should read this book. Because it is the most accurate portrayal of library that I have seen. In fiction, I think, yeah. You don't often get librarians as main characters. And when you do, it's rife with inaccuracies. But Angela M. Sanders did her research. She really thought about this and was like, nope, this is what information literacy is. And this is what my character feels. And this is how she does her job. And it was fantastic. And I'm just waiting until July with bated breath. There's not a lot of substance. It's just my dreams and it makes me love my job and makes me feel magical. Because I am, I am the librarian. Except I don't solve murder mysteries or have magic like this chick does. It's great. If you're wanting something cozy and yummy and tasty and you like librarians and magic, then you should definitely engage. 
I think I might actually check that one out. Although, you know, it's really funny that you say that about librarians, because I think especially in the romance space, books about museum people and people who work in art in general have had a huge uptick. And I can't read any of them because I found them all to be so grossly inaccurate. And I totally get it, right? Because you're trying to sell the fantasy of the thing. And I have a, I work in a field, I think that's really easy to craft a fantasy around, but it's not like that. And it just absolutely, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. I've just had to stop reading them because it takes me so out of the story when you know how it really is, right? Finding that one book that actually portrays your profession and the thing you're passionate about when you are lucky enough to be passionate about your job really well is such a unique and satisfying experience. Yeah, chef's kiss. Got Italian hands going on, you know, really channeling my ancestors right now. My number one favorite book of the year is probably not going to be a surprise because I think I've been saying it since May when I first read it, but it is in fact Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kibberer. As Harmony has already mentioned, we did just do two full entire episodes reading this book, so I'm not going to go too into it, but I think that this book was just what I needed when I needed it. It just felt very much like a hug, (laughs) and it also felt, I think, to me very much like the relationship that I want to have with nature is possible and it can be done in a way that isn't appropriative to indigenous cultures, but then can also nod to indigenous cultures and indigenous wisdom when that wisdom is being freely shared in a book like this. And it just really, I don't know. I'm very lucky to own or reside on more accurately my own little piece of land that the, (laughs) the government of the United States says that I own which has really given me new space to explore my relationship to nature and the land as I'm very passionate about gardening and growing things, but want to do so in a way that is the most respectful to the native populations where I live, both in terms of people and plants. And this just gave me such a roadmap to be like, yeah, there you can do this. It is possible. It is possible to feel like you're saying thank you to the land that you live on. So I don't know. It just did a lot for me. I read it twice this year. The audiobook, I think, really is the way to go, though, because the author narrates it herself, and she's a really wonderful narrator. And I don't actually often like books that are narrated by their authors, because I think that those are often two different skill sets. But this one works really, really well, and Robin Wall Kimmerer just has the most soothing voice in the entire world. But this book just totally... I don't know. It was exactly what I needed when I needed it. All right, Maggie. So do you have any goals, reading-wise, I guess, for this next year? You know, usually I have a lot more goals. uh, Last year we did a whole book goals episode, and we had initially intended to do that this year, and then life got too messy. And I think it was a good thing we didn't do that episode, because for once I don't really have any goals. I achieved all but one and a half of my goals last year. And I think that part of what I learned is that It's really good to audit yourself and make sure that you're reading as widely and as diversely as possible. But I think that I had put so many goals on myself that I had almost gamified reading and it made it feel a little pressure filled. And so my only goal for next year is to reread more books. That was the only goal that I really didn't accomplish from last year that I I wish I had. And I'm specifically picking this one because the reason that I don't ever reread is because then I look at my TBR shelf and I'm like, but look at all of these books I have that I haven't read yet. When am I going to get to them and blah, blah, blah. And I think I just need to build in mental space and mental grace for myself to be like, 
it's okay to revisit the books that you want to revisit, even though you have books that you haven't read yet. Both of those things can be true simultaneously. And I don't know what it is about, uh, like, I don't really know where that internal pressure to, comes from that makes me feel like I can't go back. But I really just want to prioritize that for next year. So that is straight up my only goal. I don't care about anything else that happens, but I really do want to be more intentional about rereading books when the mood strikes. So I've in the past, I don't think goals really do anything for me. Because <laughs> I'm ADD and I just can't track them. And I don't think I really want to. And a large part of my later 20s, in mid 20s, up until late 20s, I'd say, because I'm 28, y'all now, I'm, I'm old, is, is, has been unpacking shame. And which I think I guess I probably have already done as a person a lot but like unpacking shame and giving myself permission to just do the thing and do what feels good and so that's kind of been what my relationship to reading has been now as an adult so I guess generally for work I would like to read more middle grade and children's fiction because it would make my job a little bit easier and I would also like to read more fiction with boy protagonists. I also think, personally, I would like to read more fiction with non-binary characters and trans characters just all around because I didn't realize until this year that most of the time when I read fiction, trans people aren't main characters. And I broke that a little bit this year, but not really enough. And I was thinking about it, I don't think I've ever read anything with a non-binary main character. And I think that reading really helps me learn and grow and it's how I end up doing therapy and do all of my mental processes so it would probably be a good idea to read something with a non-binary character <laughs> hopefully multiple things but I think generally speaking what I hope as a more realistic goal for me because I don't know if I met any of my goals last year because I don't track them because that's just too much work <laughs> Realistically, I just really want to continue learning through reading, and I hope that the books that I'm consuming next year focus a lot on how we can use our various gifts to give back to the world, because I feel like I'm in a place where I'm building more stability, where I don't have to just think about survival all the time, and so I am ready for the action piece of my life. And it seems, if this podcast is any indicator, that reading has a big, a big effect on where those philosophies come from and where I decide I am going to situate myself in the world. So, yes. Ready for action. Give me action books about how we can actually break the system that I can apply to my own life in very practical ways. <laughs> All right, then. I think that that might be the end of this episode. We talked about the top 10 books. We each did a goal. I have no idea what our next episode is, so it's a find that somewhere. That we <laughs> someday I'm gonna update the syllabus again. Okay, but that's all, folks. Bye. Bye. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts.